Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. We uh, are going to let all the kids go back now out to kids' ministry. So if you are in K through fifth grade, you can head out there. Thanks, everyone, for just being a little patient in here as we've been working out there. Um, we, we had a little technical difficulty, and so everything got unplugged. And so uh, we're trying to get back online. The problem is we can't set up a new live stream within an hour of a service. So uh, we've improvised and set up my phone right here. So uh, sorry, everyone who's watching on YouTube or live. We've got the stream on Facebook right now, so at least we've got something. And we're going to try to post something later. But again, thanks for being understanding and uh, of everything just kind of going on right now. Oh, all right. Um, I know we just kind of took some time uh, prayer, but um, with a morning like this where we've got some crazy tech details going on, thanks, Josh, for figuring that out. Would you just join me again in a word of prayer? And again, if you're joining us online, thanks for understanding. And um, I know it's not ideal, but at least it's something. And so let's, let's all just take a minute here and just pray. God, you are good. And God, we know that although the world lets us down and family and friends let us down and we let ourselves down, God, you're never going to let us down and you're never going to let us go and God, that you are here with us, whether we're watching online and uh, whether we're here in the room or going to watch later. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your nearness. God, I just pray right now you'd calm my heart and, and soul right now. And it's been just one of those weeks. And so, God, we just thank you that it's, uh, it's your strength. So, Lord, I just pray right now that you'd, you'd step into my body. You, you'd speak through my mind and my words to just bring the message, God, that you want to bring. In your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Eric. I get to be the, the pastor here. And again, we're kicking off this new series on the Gospel of John. And, and hopefully uh, most of you got one of these uh, Gospel of John scripture journals, uh, either a black one or we have like the purple ones that are a little bit different. If you didn't, we have some more out there. And we'd love to encourage you to uh, bring these on Sundays, and then you can follow along with us as we're going through this. Take some notes um, throughout the week. Meditate on that chapter uh, that we're going through. And, and kind of what we're going to do is each week we're going to dive into some of the chapter of the week. But uh, our, our communicators, our preachers aren't going to be able to cover every single verse. And so we're going to do our best. And then maybe we'll cover some during the Mosaic Midweek videos. But then also it gives you an opportunity to dive into God's word on your own. We just wrapped up a season of Christmas, and I don't know about you, but there's always this kind of sense of, uh, of I don't know, like emptiness. You know, uh, how many of you ever seen uh, that scene from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air at the very end when, when uh, Will Smith is kind of looking around with his hands in his pockets and it's all empty? That's how my house always feels when we take down the Christmas tree and all the Christmas decorations. It's like, why is it so empty now? And uh, it's a good reminder also that, that you know, there is this longing for, for heaven and, and for hope. But one of the problems with Christmas, as much as I love Christmas, is that we can get meaning too easily. We, we have all these wonderful thoughts and, 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 and emotions, when, but we connect Christmas with, with gathering with family or watching Miracle on 34th Street or eating wonderful food and lasagna or Swedish meatballs or exchanging gifts. But I think too often with Christmas, we actually settle for less. See, the meaning of Christmas is inexhaustible. 
when we go through the story of Jesus, we get four real biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one is slightly different. And in Luke and Matthew, they give us a lot of details on what happened with Christmas. And John doesn't do that. John doesn't have shepherds or, or wise men or, or the star. John doesn't give us the details, but John tells us what it all means. John tells us what it all means. A little bit about the Gospel of John. I've heard people talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic Gospels. They're kind of like when you flip on the news and when things are going crazy and you see ABC and CBS and NBC and those news channels are, are kind of similar. Well, the book of John is like if you flipped over to the BBC. It's like it's very different. You just have their perspective, you know, how they're portraying things. That's kind of the book of John. And most scholars believe that the book of John was written by John, the son of Zebedee. His dad was a wealthy fisherman who was probably well known to the ruling class, uh, the, 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 the Pharisees and, and that, uh, the, the ruling council. That's why he was able to go in and be the only disciple that was there at Jesus' death on the cross. John was most likely the youngest of the disciples and was the, the last living disciple uh, after all the other disciples had been killed for their faith. In fact, uh, history tells us that the Roman Empire tried to kill John by uh, boiling him alive in a pot of oil, and he survived, and they exiled him. But he also was a pastor for a number of years in Ephesus. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul to that town, and John was the, uh, the pastor there for a number of years. And we believe the book of John, the Gospel of John, was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so you had these accounts of Jesus. It tells a lot of his parables and his teachings. And then John, maybe in his older age, said, you know, I'm going to share a little bit of my perspective. It's just a little bit different. A couple of things I love about John. John wants us to know that he was faster in a foot race than Peter, the most famous of all disciples. If you go to the story of, 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 of them running to the tomb, it says that Peter and John took off running and John got there first. And I just love that, that Peter's probably long dead. And John is like, they had this robbery, and he's like, I got there first. I'm faster. The other thing that I think is just hilarious is Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about, you know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the, 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 the soldiers come. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that somebody grabbed a sword and chopped off a guy's ear. And John later is like, it was Peter. It was Peter. Like, he's the only one that, like, outs Peter in that moment. Everyone else is like, some disciple chopped off a guy's ear. And John's like, it was Peter. I just love this, that even, you know, well into his old age, like, John is kind of chuckling, and they had this rivalry with, with Peter. But, but John's gospel is just so beautiful. Uh, it, it's one of the most amazing, uh, I think, ancient works of literature written by this, this, this fisherman who but then learned and grew in, in his Greek and, and knowledge and just penned this amazing gospel. If you have your journals, I'll let you pull those out, and we're going to read the first part of John 1, and uh, we're going to try something a little bit different. If you are able, if you are comfortable, and those at home as well, would you just stand for the reading of God's word? And uh, we're going to read this together in your phones or in your scripture journals or, or online. Um, I think you're watching. Uh, let's read this together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let me take a seat. As I said, each gospel gives a, presents Jesus with a distinctive emphasis. Matthew emphasizes Jesus' kingship. Mark, his servanthood. Luke, his humanity. And John, his divinity. We've said, as followers of Jesus we are his apprentices. We, we want to learn at the feet of Jesus. And the apprentice of Jesus, each time he goes to the Gospel of John, I believe Christ is going to be a little bit bigger. Something like Lucy's experience with the Az, lion Aslan, the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia series, as she gazed into his large, wise face. This is from uh, the uh, second book. He says, Welcome, child. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love this picture that as Lucy gets bigger, the lion Aslan gets bigger. And the same thing as we, as we dive into the Gospels, as we learn about Christ, instead of having all the answers and figured out, we realize that Christ is, is bigger and, and greater than anything we could truly understand. And, and my hope is that as we work our way through the wonders of this gospel of John, that we will find Christ bigger and bigger and bigger. Because I believe that our spiritual growth is tied up with the size of our vision of Christ. See, once we get away from just a one-dimensional, overly narrow picture of Christ, once we see the fullness and the, the glory of Christ in the scriptures, our lives will be enlarged. And I believe that most of us need a bigger picture of Christ. And I think if believers, as followers, as apprentices of Jesus, if we were to recapture the greatness of Christ, it would make an enormous difference in our world. And as we grow in our understanding of the greatness of Christ, we grow stronger in him. Well, this John 1, first part that we read, a lot of scholars think it was actually this ancient hymn that perhaps the early church sang, and then John put those words to paper. And it's this beautiful hymn, and we're going to spend some time just reading that part, and then uh, later this next week, I hope to dive into the second half on our Mosaic uh, Midweek Online. But three things I want us to get from this, this opening hymn in John 1. The matchless greatness of Christ the greatness of his love, 
and the greatness of his grace. This is what I want to see, the matchless greatness of Christ, the greatness of his love, and the greatness of his grace. Well, the matchless greatness of Christ. John pens, in the beginning was the word. Well, what this means, and this is kind of bad grammar, but you could say it this way, is that Jesus always was wasing. Jesus always was wasing. Jesus Christ is pre-existent. He always was continuing. And if you're like me, this can, kind of thinking can make for a super headache. Our mind looks backwards until time disappears and, and our thoughts collapse in exhaustion as we, as we think, how was it that Christ, who was born, but he's existed always in time before time even started? And this is the greatness of Christ. And John adds, and the word was with God. Literally, what this means is that, that the word was continually towards God. That the Father and the Son were continually face to face. And and this preposition that John uses here bears the idea of nearness, along with the sense of movement towards the Father. That is to say, there's always existed the deepest equality and intimacy in the Holy Trinity as the Father and the Son and the Spirit have continually moved towards each other for all of eternity in perfect community, in in a perfect loving dance. And again, I think our minds can... It staggers we think of Jesus as always having continued without beginning and without end in perfect, joyous intimacy with the Father. And John writes, and the word was God. That means Jesus, he is God in both essence and character. He is God in every way, though he is a separate person from God the Father. And this phrase perfectly preserves his identity from all eternity. He always was God, but The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are separate persons. Three persons, one God in perfect loving community, in a perfect dance, moving towards each other. Jesus was always existing in all eternity as God. This is the greatness of Christ. And John goes on to say that all things were made through him. He is our creator. Are you resting in him? Are you entrusting your life to him? Considering the greatness of Christ, nothing else really makes sense other than to put our trust and hope in him. The second thing we see is the greatness of his love. And that is apparent from the opening lines of John where he is identified as the word. And this was uh, a word in Greek, logos. You can do your own word study this week that is thick with meaning in this time. But really what it means is that ever since the creation of man, Christ has sought to communicate with humanity in love. That Christ was always the word to remind us that he has loved us, for the nature of love is to express itself. In clearest terms, John goes on to say that the word is light. He is the life-giving light to the dark world. Jesus is, is, is our spiritual light. And that shows us that he is always seeking to illuminate, seeking after us. And where light goes, darkness is dispelled, revealing the true nature of life. John says the light shines continuously in the darkness, meaning that Christ is continually bombarding every corner of our hearts of darkness through the work of the Holy Spirit, as well as through nature, through our conscience, through the scriptures. And penetrating any and every crevice and opening the smallest light can get in and reveal that object's true nature. In World War II, there was a fight between Great Britain and the Nazis in Germany. And, and so 
London had to be in a blackout where no one could light any light so that the bombers that were coming wouldn't know where to drop those bombs. And I read this week that during those blackouts in London, on a clear night, a lighted match could be seen for 20 miles from the air. One match, 20 miles from the air. That is the amazing power of light, that even in the smallest light, darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus is that light shining in the darkness. But then John tells us that light was met with tremendous resistance. The light of Christ came into the world, but the darkness pounced on it and tried to strangle it. And though many rejected this light and said, I don't believe you are who you say you are, some responded to his invitation of of love and light. And John tells us the most amazing thing, that those who responded to Christ became children of God. What an amazing thought. As they say in Fiddler on the Roof, wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles. Christ was not obligated to bring us into the family of God, but because he loved us, because he has continuously been seeking after us, he made us his children. Wonder of wonders. What does that mean that that we are able to become children of God? I love this perspective of C.S. Lewis in his great sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says this, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a, gr- of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. It is such a good gut check that we have never interacted with a mere mortal. Everyone we meet, everyone we interact with was created in the loving image of our God. And everyone is on this trajectory moving away from God. And that trajectory, if it was to continue through all eternity and we saw that soul, we would be shocked and it would be this terror. Or they're moving on a trajectory towards becoming like Christ, moving into life, moving into light, moving into fellowship with that, our Trinity, God, who has been in perfect communion for all of eternity and invites us into that. And though our time here may seem like just a blip, we have this opportunity as we engage with others to help them on the journey? Are we pointing them towards Jesus and towards light and saying you can become a children of God and although we are not perfect, we are moving towards becoming like Christ or God gives us the opportunity to say, hey, we want nothing to do with you. 
And so what that means is we are rejecting all that is good, all that is true, all that is life, all that is love. And God says, so be it. And what that means is then you are then on an eternal trajectory away from all life, all light, all hope, all truth, all friendship, because that is who God is. Hell is, is not some punishment that God is trying to inflict on us. Hell is the absence of all that is good and true and holy and right and community and, and things that we enjoy and hope and love. And we are all on a trajectory moving away from God or are we moving towards God? And Christ came into the world to illuminate that truth that all are invited to become children of God. How amazing is that wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles. And then we see the greatness of his grace. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Literally, this means that Jesus pitched his tent. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, he says that God moved into our neighborhood. I love that. Also, for those who are camping, it's, it's Jesus pitching his tent. He's camping with us. And this is pointing back to the Old Testament, before the temple came, when there was the tabernacle. You can also translate this as, as the word tabernacled among us. When that tabernacle, that great tent, was in the midst of the camp of Israel, John is saying that the word became flesh and lived among us in the same way that, that God camped among the tribes of Israel. And the reference to seeing his glory is an allusion to God's presence, that when they built the tabernacle, God's glory came down and he filled that tabernacle with his weight, with his presence, with his holiness. And in the same way that that, that glory was in that tent, now that glory of God was clothed in flesh in Jesus and is present in the word made flesh. And men and women saw his glory full of grace and truth. And through Jesus, John says, we have received grace upon grace. What does that mean? It means that as you receive grace and you allow it to work in your life, more grace will come and then more grace and then more grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Here's how the great reformer Martin Luther said it. The sun is not dimmed in darkness by shining on so many people or by providing the entire world with its light and splendor. It retains its light intact. It loses nothing. It is immeasurable, perhaps able to illumine 10 more worlds. I suppose that 100,000 candles can be ignited from one light, and still this light will not lose any of its brilliance. Even if the whole world were to draw from this fountain enough grace and truth to transform all people into angels, still it would not lose as much as a drop. This fountain constantly overflows with sheer grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. And his grace is heaped upon us as we walk with him as his children. Are you lonely? Are you insecure? Do you feel... Like you need a friend. God says, I, the light, have extended myself and my love from all eternity. And I'm speaking through your conscience, through nature, through the word of God, through the revelation of the cross, of the word became flesh who died for us. And God is saying, will you respond? And when that grace is poured out, it is more than adequate for anything that we have done, for anything that has been done to us. 
no matter what history you've had, no matter the abuse you've suffered, no matter the mistakes you have made, that grace is more than enough. In the 17th century, there was a young boy born into a wonderful Christian home, and, and he grew up going to church and, and singing hymns and learning these scriptures. But sadly, at the age of six, both his parents died, and he entered an orphanage. And, and he experienced just awful abuses, and he was mistreated until he was old enough as a teenager to run away, and he, he joined the, the Royal English Navy. But then once in the Navy, his life went further downhill and became known as a, as a brawler, and he was whipped many times and did some horrible things. Finally, he was so sick of, of the military life that he deserted, and he fled to Africa where he attached himself to a Portuguese slave trader. And then he made his living as a slave trader. And one of the worst things possible. And one night, this young man, he stole the ship's whiskey and got so drunk that he fell overboard and was almost lost to sea when one of the other shipmates harpooned him and, and, and brought him ashore. And as a result, he had a, a huge scar the rest of his life. Finally, one day, as they're these slave traders on this horrible, huge storm off the coast of Scotland after days of pumping water out of the boat. And thinking he's going to die, this young man remembered back those hymns and those Bible stories as a young child he'd heard his parents tell him. And wonder of wonders, in that moment, he turned to Jesus and accepted that grace upon grace upon grace and not much later he penned the words to this song amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. That young man, John. Newton became one of the great preachers of the 17th century because of the amazing grace of God, grace upon grace, someone who did horrible things, a slave trader, just awful things, and yet he turned his life to Jesus, and then through Jesus, he's able to turn that around. And hundreds of years later, we still hear this hymn and these words that he penned, and our heart is stirred as we think of that amazing grace. That is what Jesus came to reveal. May you and I learn to receive grace upon grace so that our lives become richer and more beautiful through that grace. Maybe we be people who receive grace upon grace and then in response we, we give out grace upon grace in response to the effects of sin and, and misery and hurting in this world. What does it mean to receive grace upon grace? It means that today, 
no matter where you've been, what's been done to you, what you have done, you can receive grace upon grace. The slate can be wiped clean. But you can have a relationship with God and you can become a child of God. And all you need to do is to bow the knee, to confess your sins, to acknowledge that Jesus is God. You're making that great transfer of all my sin and shame and guilt and God, I give it to you and somehow I don't understand it, but I receive your grace and I get adopted into your family. There isn't some special prayer you can pray, but if you want to just just bow your head and just say, Jesus, I give you my life. And that is just the start of a lifelong conversation with God. Perhaps like me, this last 12 months have just been so uncertain. And and I know I've lost my way as we've navigated a pandemic, something none of us have ever done, and and political chaos, and and racial unrest, and and questions of of justice, and, and just all these questions. And perhaps this morning, like me, you just, I need more grace upon grace upon grace. I need to reset my compass in 2021. I shared this on on Facebook. I I try not to get political too often, but I'm just seeing so many followers of Jesus just kind of turn their eyes off what is most important. You know, we don't stick our heads in the sand, but we can't solve all the world's problems. What can we do? We can love God. We can receive grace upon grace, and then we can reflect that grace back. You know, this week I was able to drop off, again, $4,000 worth of gift cards and, and food and diapers and toys right here at Oslo Senior High as we've been having conversations with the social workers. And I was hoping to get it done before Christmas, honestly, but uh, just as we're starting this new relationship with the school and talking with their social workers, just had to t- take more conversations, and that's okay, because we, we were doing this, you know, uh, on their time, not on ours. And, and you know what? They just were so thankful, the principal here, And the social workers, just thank you so much. And they just shared, you know, uh, about 10 families here, a part of this school that are homeless, living with others, with friends. And your generosity is going to help those 10 families have food, have clothing, you know, uh, just have a little hope. Your generosity sparks something in the social workers and the voluntary coordinator here at Austin Senior High of just, really, you guys don't need the credit? You guys don't need to be the ones dropping off? No, no. We're just here to serve. We're just doing this for Jesus because we love Jesus and, and we want to just show that grace upon grace. And, and so we can make a difference in those families. Many of you know that Keith Kingsley, who's a part of our church years ago and then has reconnected online last year, he tragically died in a farming accident on Friday. Keith's a part of our church for a number of years. He was in our, our small group in our home every week for a number of, of time. and Keith struggled. Meth is a hell of a drug. But he was cleaning his life up, and, and he had gotten sole custody of his boys, and, and he was doing great, and he was tuning in every week and, and watching Mosaic. And this week alone, he wanted to be a part of a, of a men's group and grow in Christ. And today, Keith is in heaven, I believe, because so many of you showed love over the last five years to Keith. You know what, Friday night, Jeremy Stuber and I, we drove up about an hour and 15 minutes away to, to his boys. And probably one of the top three hardest things I've had to do as a pastor was to tell that 10-year-old, that 8-year-old, and that 3-year-old, your dad died today 
and to just hold that 10-year-old for a good 30, 40 minutes as he just sobbed and couldn't breathe and to tell him, like, there's no easy answers, that you are loved. That's what it means to receive grace upon grace, to show grace upon grace. You know, Matt Anderson, our worship leader up here, his wife is traveling with her two boys, and he's got his two foster girls here today. And those girls could be in who knows what situation. But Matt and Lauren are showing grace upon grace as they love on these foster girls. Ryan and Susan Carroll had a little baby in their home most of last year as they showed grace upon grace to this foster boy, and then he went back to his mom, and now they got a new little baby boy. They're showing grace upon grace. And so many of you have shown that to others in real, tangible ways. This is what the gospel is. Like, yeah, it drives me crazy that we lost our live stream, and, and, and I, I enjoy this side of things as well, but this is what matters. It's comforting the hurting and the broken. It's gathering on a Wednesday as we doing a funeral for Keith. And to be honest, this is my first funeral I've ever done. 20 years of being a pastor, so far I've gotten here without being a funeral, uh, uh, doing a funeral. And now it's someone I baptized. I helped introduce to Jesus. But this is what it means to be part of a real community. It's, it, church is more than just a a playlist of songs you listen to on Spotify or an inspiring podcast message we listen to. It's, it's community. It's experiencing grace upon grace together. It's, it's sharing prayer requests like Ethan did this morning and, and, and people sharing like, hey, we're hoping to get pregnant in 2021. It's like, that's my hope for you. Or, or we're, we're pregnant now and we want a safe pregnancy. Or people whose marriage is on the rock and, and they're sharing that and we're praying for that. And it's giving people scripture journals to say, hey, we're going to learn together as we take notes and we're going to dive into God's word and, and we're going to have some online groups this summer and you want to learn how to read scripture and, and we gather, even though we're tired, to, to watch Bible Project videos to learn what does it mean to read, interpret scripture and, and having an online group where we can encourage each other to memorize scripture so that we can hide God's word in our heart and have a men's group, have a women's group so we can just check in and, and have some community because we're so lost and alone and, and church is so much more than than just listening to some worship or, or podcasts. It's, it's experiencing the grace of Christ ourselves and then extending that to each other and to our school around us and to those who are hurting and broken around us. That is why we are here, church. We've been talking about this, that as apprentices of Jesus, we want to be with Jesus. And so I, I want to encourage you, starting tomorrow, we're, we're kicking off 21 days of prayer. And I know so many of you have talked like, Prayer can be this confusing thing. You're not sure. And fasting, what does that mean? I can't go without food. We've just said, fasting is, is the spiritual principle of, of removing something for a season so that we can fill it with God in his presence for that season. Again, Marie Kondo, this minimalism, it's, it's very hip and trendy. It's actually a scriptural principle of simplicity so that we can live in, in joyous communion with Christ. And so I want to encourage you, is there something you can let go of for the next 21 days? Maybe that's that, you know, you crash at night with Netflix or Hulu and you're watching, you know, or these YouTube videos or The Office again on Peacock or whatever it might be. And you take that 22 minutes. And if you're unsure of how to start with prayer, here's what I should encourage you. Like, just turn on some worship music or just quietly, maybe you want to light a candle, you want to get out your scripture journal. But just say, God, I'm here to meet with you. 
and they just sit in the silence. So many podcasts today are talking about the importance of mindfulness, the importance of meditation. Again, these are ancient scriptural principles that now people are catching up to and saying, we are more than just this flesh and blood. Our, our bodies, minds, and spirits are all together. And so having time of mindfulness. And so maybe you just want to start, say, God, I'm here. And you're going to sit in silence as you're going to listen. And then maybe you start talking to God. Prayer doesn't, you don't have to have all the right words. You don't have to pray like me or, or Josh or Matt or Ethan. Like pray in your own words. We, we want to help you take that step. And again, there, there is just something in this principle that our body and minds, our spirits are all interconnected. If we say, okay, I'm going to take 21 days and go without chocolate or without sugar, or without TV, or social media. There is something about, about that principle of, of, of fasting that thing, and we are all more open. And then when you feel that craving for sugar, when you feel that craving for, uh, you know, uh, watching Andy and, uh, you know, Michael from the office, or whatever it might be, or, or that glass of wine, that's a trigger. Oh, yeah, I'm turning towards Jesus. I'm accepting grace upon grace as as. God made flesh, dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. That's right, and he's showing grace upon grace to me, and I don't need to rely on that handful of M&Ms or that glass of scotch or, or you know, binge-watching this TV. I can rely on Jesus, that he is my strength, and that's the point of these next 21 days. We want to be with Jesus. We want to then become like him, full of grace and truth and showing grace upon grace, and then we want to do what he would do if he was walking in our shoes. That means loving on foster kids. That means loving a 10-year-old who just lost his dad. It means dropping groceries off for someone who is hurting. It means checking in on your neighbors. It means um, I'm plugging from social media because it's just a train wreck right now, and you know what? I'm just going to love and serve it means talking to your kids and your grandkids about Jesus more than you talk about the president or the president-elect or the governor. I mean, we all have frustrations. We want to become like Jesus. As we wrap up, I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're just going to close with one more song. As this is, I want them to sing this over you. And I'm just going to read Matthew 11, 28 through 30, in the message version. And this is what Jesus just invites us. Jesus says, Are you tired worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. How good is that? That's the invitation of Jesus. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Receive that grace. And imagine if, if we all this year just chose to receive that grace upon grace upon grace. And then as we do, we reflected that. As we loved the hurting and the broken. As we lived in generosity to help those who are struggling to care for our community by praying for them, by not living in isolation, even if we're trapped at home. But we're still reaching out, we're texting, we're calling, we're writing cards, we're saying we are a community together. Church is so much more than just a Spotify playlist or an inspiring podcast. It is the people of God coming together 
to show that grace upon grace. Let's pray, and then if you want to sing along, this is kind of a new song in Kitei, yes, but the band is just going to lead this and just to sing it over you. God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to move into our neighborhood, to tabernacle among us, to show your glory and your truth, and allow us to experience grace upon grace upon grace. So God, I pray that as we receive your grace and just drink deeply in it, knowing that it is an inexhaustible well that can never run dry, God, that then that grace would spill out over us as parents, as spouses, as aunts and uncles and grandparents and and neighbors and sons and daughters and, and cousins and brothers and sisters. And we just spill grace all over everyone we come in contact with, knowing that we've never met a mere mortal, that everyone is created in your image for a purpose, for a reason, and is going to exist in eternity somewhere. And so, God, we want to just help as many people to to know your love and your grace and that they can live in freedom and, and, and hope. They don't have to live in this mindset that there's, there's enemies and, 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 and us and them, that there is no them, there's only us and we are your children. So God, we just pray right now as the band leads us in this final song, God, that we would just drink deeply of your grace, that we'd learn the unforced, unhurried rhythms of your grace and this year as we would walk side by side with you under your yoke as your apprentices, Help us to be with you, God, to become like you, to do what you would do if you're walking in our shoes. In your name we pray. Amen. You can stay seating. Uh, If you want to sing along, you can go ahead and do that now.